Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 874. We covered six miles before we stopped at midday, with the girls becoming increasingly excited as they began to recognize parts of the countryside. The shape of hills in the distance, a crooked tree by the road. But as we grew closer to Levenshire, they grew quiet. It's just over the rise there, Crin said, getting down off the roan. You ride from here, El. El looked from her to me to her feet. She shook her head. I watched them. Are the two of you okay? My father's going to kill me, Crin's voice was barely a whisper, her face full of serious fear. Your father will be one of the happiest men in the world tonight, I said, then thought it best to be honest. He might be angry too, but that's only because he's been scared out of his mind for the last eight days. Crin seemed slightly reassured, but Elle burst out crying. Crin put her arms around her, making gentle sounds. No one will marry me, Elle sobbed. I was going to marry Jason Watterson and help him run his store. He won't marry me now. No one will. I looked up to Crin and saw the same fear reflected in her wet eyes. But Crin's eyes were angry, while Elle's held nothing but despair. Any man who thinks that way is a fool, I said, weighing my voice with all the conviction I could bring to bear. And the two of you are too clever and too beautiful to be marrying fools. It seemed to calm Elle somewhat. Her eyes turning up at me as if looking for something to believe. It's the truth, I said, and none of this was your fault. Make sure you remember that for these next couple of days. I hate them, Elle spat, surprising me with her sudden rage. I hate men. Her knuckles were white as she gripped Gray tails reins, her face twisted into a mask of anger. Crin put her arms around El, but when she looked at me, I saw the sentiment reflected quietly in her dark eyes. You have every right to hate them, I said, feeling more anger and helplessness than ever before in my life. But I'm a man too. Not all of us are like that. We stayed there for a while, not more than a half mile from town. We had a drink of water and a small bite to settle our nerves, and then I took them home. And that's the end of the page and the chapter. I'm Nick. I'm Drana. Aren't you guys proud of me? I tried an accent today. Yeah, you did a great job. Your voice work was on point. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. I, my, my one accent crying girl <laughs> <laughs> well we all gotta start somewhere i've lost the ability to do chico marks apparently which is shocking because that was like all i did during my childhood um let's get this out of the way this is going to be uh a, a little unpleasant uh but it bears mentioning uh in the time since this book was written with the way the discourse has uh developed it is not a good look to leave the chapter with the sentiment being 
well, not all men are like that. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's meant to kind of like evoke the helplessness and like, there's no simple answer to this. It's a legitimate concern that they have, like a legitimate fear to have. Um, And, you know, it's presented, I don't think it's meant to be a solution to it, but it's sort of like the only response that you have, which is, I think, part of why it became a popular response. Uh, but yeah, you know, it is, it's like, it's so obvious that it's Pat, right? Like, yes, obviously not all men are like this. That's why you don't need to say not all men unless you're like, because the reason that it became a joke is because people were seeing it like defensively. Right. And like, I actually don't think that that's what Quoth is doing here. You know, no, like, I don't think not, so either. It's, but it's it is, I agree that it is like yeah. not, not the best look. <laughs> yeah. And it, it bears mentioning that the response to that, uh, is, you know, not all men will rape, but any man could rape, and that's the problem. Um, or, you know, any man might be a rapist, you know, and that's that's what women have to, or, you know... People have to operate on the assumption, people feel like they have to operate on the assumption that men are a are inherently a sexual threat because so many men are a sexual threat. Yeah, and that's so not that, fair, and it's not right, but, you know, you can see why someone would take that point of view. Yeah, exactly. And that's why not all men ended up being a popular refrain and one that fell flat and is not a defense. So, okay, having said that, let's let's put that out of the way. I don't think Rothfuss is trying to plant a flag uh, in the in the the manosphere here. Um, Jordana, what what do you make of the passage here? Uh, You two are let me see here. You two are too clever and too beautiful to be marrying fools. Uh, I mean. It's fine. Uh, I think it is important that he put the word clever first. Um, yeah. Do you think beautiful, like. I think that beautiful is not relevant in this particular instance. Um, being being beautiful doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't marry a fool. Like a, a, a beautiful but stupid person would be happy with a fool. You can be fools <laughs> together. Like why? Why the not? <laughs> Just be stupid together. It'll be great. Um, and a clever and ugly person might have to settle for a fool, but they're clever and beautiful, so they don't have to settle. Yeah. So I th- I think this is another thing that like is an unfortunate trend that Rothfuss, rightly or not, gets criticized for, which is that like all the women in his stories are beautiful, and even even Bast points that out, and like they they hang a lantern they hang a lantern on it with the sequence. At, at some point in one of the books where they, they talk about it. And like in this particular case, I think it rankles because it's so close to the not all men line. But what I read this as him trying to like make them feel better. Like, yes, you know, you, you, you know, you two haven't become less beautiful physically or, or as people through the experience that you've had here, but it's a little, and you know, it's also like, it's a response to, L's concern, L who is, you know, clearly a little bit more simple and is like concerned with with these things, like getting married being her highest uh the highest thing she sort of aspires to. It's also worth noting that Quoth is out of his depth in this situation, just as I think I would be. And I think he is, you know, he's pulling something nice to say out of his ass, right? Because he's like, oh, because I think he knows that they're correct. That and he's pro- and they're proven correct in the next chapter that the men in their village are misogynist dullards who do think of a woman who suffered a sexual assault as like soiled in some way that it's somehow her fault. And I think that he knows that that's how they're going to react because he knows what small town jerks and big city men alike are like. And they, he know- like I think that he is 
trying to say something nice. Like he's saying the nicest thing he can think of. And I think that it's a pretty nice thing to say, but I think that everyone involved knows that he is trying to put lipstick on a pig here. Uh, I agree. But also I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's worth exploring more of the reasons why Elle is worried about uh, marriage more than someone like Crin, because Elle is the daughter of a mayor. Yeah. And it's entirely possible, although not confirmed or unconfirmed that that title could be hereditary. Like, like whether or not that title is hereditary, I think like she is of a higher social class and she's from a social class where what young women are supposed to do is marry well. And in the small town context, yes, but you didn't let me finish my thought. (laughs) So, because of her social class and the fact that she's a woman um, and the like ostensible misogyny that's occurring around her, even if she was the firstborn child, she still would not receive that title because it's hereditary on the men's side. So in order to maintain the lifestyle that she is used to, she has to marry well. If she doesn't marry well, she has to live a different lifestyle than she's used to. And that can be very difficult for people to change their lifestyle. Yeah. So absolutely. I understand why she's worried about it because she's like if i don't do this right i'm screwed is kind of like how she's probably thinking about it whereas crin is already not as high up the ladder she's not worried about losing something she's comfortable where she is or if she's not she's probably in a state of mind that's a little more level than what l is experiencing i think there's a slightly different read on this that one could have because when he looks at Crin, he sees the same fear reflected in her wet eyes. So Crin also, I think, is afraid of the idea that because this has happened to her, she is now like damaged goods as a marriage prospect. And I think that she also was counting on being able to like marry well in her own social class. But I think that maybe the difference is Crin's eyes were angry. Els had nothing but despair. I think because... Crin already comes from a pretty low rung on the social ladder. She already resents the position that she's in in life. And then this has just made it worse. Whereas Elle had it pretty good until this happened to her. And so her life is like more substantially ruined. Does that jibe with what you're? Yeah. 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 Good. Yeah. Good. All the thoughts. Good. Uh, yeah. Mail? Head empty. No thoughts. Mail. Uh, this letter It is from the Jade Blade, who writes, Dear Pagers, in regards to page 847, I'm not sure that I agree with Nick's assertion that Chronicler attended the university after Quoth left. When Chronicler is describing himself as a student, he says, quote, You wouldn't have liked me. I was a papery little twat, and spoiled and full of myself, end quote. Now, that is not a statement that is particularly that is specifically about a person at any age in particular. However, I would have to say from my own personal experience that this sort of description is most often the kind applied to young folks. Additionally, Chronicler goes on to say, I like to think I've had my eyes opened a bit. When Quoth asks how, Chronicler replies, in brief, I had a snit and left the university looking for greener pasture. Best thing I ever did. I learned more from a month on the road than I had in three years of classes. From this, one might conclude that Chronicler had not done much traveling before the university if travel was the thing that transformed him from a paper little twat into the man we know today. 
Therefore, we may additionally conclude that his chronicling happened after he left the university, including his published work, The Mating Habits of the Common Dracus, because gathering the stories that he's heard and doing research for his books would require a great deal of traveling. Since that book was in the archives when Quoth attained initial admittance, then our final conclusion would be that Chronicler attended the university at least a few years before Quoth, left, traveled, was published, and had his book put in the archives where Quoth read it. Sincerely, The Jade Blade. I think they're right. <laughs> That's strong, strong evidence. I have little to uh, say to countermand it. I suppose the timeline lines up, although the way they talk about it, it seems like... It seems like Chronicler was there after. I don't know. It's still, it's the way they talk. I always got the impression that Quoth like had the, the earlier impression, you know, he's asking like, Oh, how's Elodin? You know, he doesn't actually ask this, but that's the impression, you know, like when you, when you meet up with someone from your alma mater, who's like, who's a bit younger than you, you go, Oh, how's this prop? Oh, he's still doing this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you compare notes and laugh about it. I suppose it could have been the other way, but it seems like Quoth has seniority between the two of them. I suppose I we'll find like out. If we can solve a problem in this book without resorting to wibbly wobbly timey wimey shenanigans, we should. All right, let's call this resolved for now. Let's take down the red twine, put away our uh, scrawling chalk. Not to worry, listener. We will put that red twine back up with a new crackpot theory on tomorrow's. Whoa, well, hey, whoa, hey, ho, whoa. It is the end of a chapter. That's right, Jeremy. What are you trying to do? I, w- I to put Jordan out of a job? Yes, yes. <laughs> she she missed her opportunity. Well, I had apparently more than one opportunity and more than one shot. I don't know. I forget how that song goes. Anyway. Um, it is the end of a chapter. This chapter is called The Road to Levenshire. It's because they're on the road to Levenshire. Done. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> Thank you all, and we'll see you tomorrow. Wind!